Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hey there, Java Junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in learning more about what it's like to work on communications at one of the world's biggest and most prestigious management consulting firms, then this is the episode for you because my next guest is the group head of reputation and communications for McKinsey Greater China. But before I introduce you to Glenn Leibowitz, a four-time recipient of the LinkedIn Top Voice Award, not to mention a ton of other accolades, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's newsletter that features career advice and job-seeking tips, as well as unique insights into dozens of different industries from the professionals who are actually working in them. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my aspiring cappuccino-loving communicators, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew, because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Glenn Leibowitz, the head of reputation and communications for McKinsey Greater China. He is also the host of the super popular Write with Impact podcast, as well as the founder of the Write with Impact Academy. Glenn has worked in content marketing innovation at McKinsey in Asia for almost 25 years. And he leads a multicultural marketing and publishing team that oversees McKinsey's six Greater China locations in Taipei, Beijing, Shanghai, Shenzhen, Hong Kong, and Chengdu. He's got to love that spicy hot pot if he works in Chengdu. <laughs> okay, Glenn's side hustle since early 2014 has been posting weekly writing tips, blogs, and a newsletter on LinkedIn. And in recognition of the value of what he'd produced, he was named a LinkedIn top voice four years in a row from 2015 through 2018. And he also posts regularly on Medium. And his personal website is glennlebowitz.com. We are going to have links to all of this and more in show notes. In 2015, Glenn launched his podcast, Write with Impact, where he interviews successful writers and shares tips for productivity and content creation with his many listeners. And I had the great privilege of being a guest on his podcast in the summer of 2021. And I highly recommend that you check it out and subscribe. And also, of course, 
follow him on LinkedIn and connect with him on LinkedIn. Glenn, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go there in type A? Andrea, I definitely am. I'm, I'm totally psyched to be here. Thank you for inviting me to your show. And I am just chugging away on my sugar-free green tea. Yum. And by the way, I'm not talking about like type A personality. I'm talking about Taipei, Taiwan, where Glenn lives in East Asia. And I actually, I don't know if you know this, but I did my junior year abroad in Taipei when I was studying Mandarin and went, oh gosh, what was the school? But it was in, uh, was on Jinxiangjie, Jinxiangjie, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was like the Taipei Language Institute or something. That's right. When I was there, and I lived with a Taiwanese family, and it was it was a really really incredible experience. So I am gonna cut Glenn some serious slack. He is, as he said, chugging on his sugar free green tea because it is after eleven in the evening in Taiwan right now, and Glenn is powering through right now, just totally like digging deep to deliver for me. So, and for all of you, which is why he's here. And as you have probably guessed, I want to like call a spade a spade, one huge accomplishment and skill that Glenn has acquired over the years is that he speaks absolutely fluent Mandarin, written, spoken, and reading not just Mandarin, but what about Japanese and French? Yeah, I, I studied Japanese for four years in college and grad school, and I took a little bit of French. Both are very rusty, but I did spend a lot of time studying Mandarin, Chinese, and Japanese back to back. How important has it been to your day job, which we're going to get to in a bit, but to your day job and your professional success, Glenn, that you are bilingual, that you speak fluent Mandarin. Absolutely essential. And I never would have imagined that I would be able to turn that into a paying job, to be totally honest. You know, I I was like a lot of college students confused about what I wanted to do. I knew I liked languages. Uh, I remember looking at the course catalog as this very fat book at Cornell and trying to figure out, you know, what kind of courses should I take? And I saw this special summer intensive course in Mandarin Chinese. And I put my finger on that. I called my dad. I said, hey, dad, I want to take this intensive uh, summer course in Chinese. And I thought he was going to tell me, you know, no way. I'm not going to pay for that. I'm already paying enough for college. You know, you're going to come home to Fort Lauderdale and get a job, a summer job. But he, he immediately said yes. And so his support right there, right off the bat, was tremendously instrumental. And I took a nine-week immersive uh, Mandarin Chinese class in the summer in Ithaca, New York, which was beautiful. Ithaca is gorgeous, as everyone knows, if you've ever been there. And then I continued to study Mandarin Chinese, and I became an Asian studies major. And people would ask me, so what are you going to do with that? Well, you know, what, what, How are you going to turn that into a career? And I thought, you know, I'm just going to apply to law school and make a lot of money. Yeah, that's, that, that was my original goal. And I ended up not going to law school, by the way. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Because so many people, and I'm sure our listeners have faced this, you know, even though now they're searching for the classes they want to take online and not in a book the way we did in the olden days, 
but they're facing the pressure of thinking, how am I going to convert, especially within the liberal arts realm, what I'm studying into a well-paying job? But the secret is follow your interests the way that Glenn did. Follow the subjects that light you up. So Glenn, what was your first job out of Cornell and how did you get it? I would say my first sort of quote real job was working at BBDO, which is a very old Madison Avenue advertising agency from Manhattan. I, I saw an ad in the newspaper and I applied and I was battling Taipei traffic. I showed up tremendously late for my interview. I thought for sure I wouldn't get the job. I did very well in the interviews and they hired me. So I worked at BBDO in advertising for almost three years. He started his job. His title was associate account manager. And what was it about BBDO, about being an associate account manager that attracted you? Was it just your way to get back to Taiwan and use your Chinese? I was already in Taiwan. I had been there for a year working for a smaller company and I wanted to get out of there and do something bigger and better. It was my opportunity to stay there because my girlfriend, now wife, was working. She was a concert cellist and is a concert cellist and I wanted to be with her. So I had a very good personal reason, but I also had studied Asian studies and I wanted to continue to hone my Mandarin Chinese. And uh, also Taipei just happened to be an amazing place. It still is an amazing place to live and work and love. I love this place. Mm. So you see, there is a tie-in between the heart and the profession and sometimes following your heart literally because you love someone, not necessarily something, is the right way to go. It's like living your truth. It really is. So Glenn followed his heart, that real passion. And his other passion was Asia and being in Taiwan and the rest unfolds. So we're going to get more into, at least touch on your, your time in Cornell But for those of you who may not be familiar with what a management consulting firm is, Glenn's next move, he had had another job in between there, but he ended up at the company where he is now, 24 years ago, McKinsey & Company, one of the world's largest management consulting companies. What does McKinsey do, Glenn? What is it? Just a very quick synopsis. Right. Just very simply put, we're a global management consulting firm. We have a presence around the world. And what we do in essence is that we help mostly very large companies and sometimes smaller companies substantially transform and improve their performance through strategy, operations, organizational change. And increasingly, it's all about digital technology. But essentially, we are counselors, advisors, consultants to senior managers, we try to help them improve their business. Excellent. So Glenn started at McKinsey 24 years ago as a senior associate. He actually went to graduate school. He got two graduate school degrees in between. He got his master's 
in East Asian studies at Yale. And then he got his MBA at the Wharton School and he studied finance. You were advising senior management of leading multinational and domestic companies in Asia there across a range of industries, banking, insurance, consumer electronics, and retail. But within two years of being on that job, your boss came to you one day and said, Glenn, I want to move you into a new role. And that was the beginning of your journey to becoming head of reputation and communications in McKinsey, which is what you're doing today. Can you share with our listeners, Glenn, the story about how and why you ended up pivoting from working with clients as a senior associate to tapping into your superpower, becoming McKinsey's content marketing innovator in greater China? Now, thanks for that question. I've written a little bit about it on LinkedIn. And so I've shared a little bit about my story. But I think the people that I work with, some of the leaders that I work with, the partners that I work with, they saw it in me. They saw that my talents. And I had someone, the head of the office came to me one day, sat me down. He said, look, Glenn, you're a great communicator and you're a leader. And we need someone like you in this brand new role that doesn't really exist. So they actually created a role for me that didn't exist, not only in that office, but almost firm wide at the time. This is a long time ago. This is 1999. And he gave me a couple of options. He said, look, you know, you could continue as a consultant or you could try out this new role. And I almost instantly said, yes, of course, I want to try this new role because he, he could see it in me. I was very fortunate that I had someone who was a mentor, maybe even you can call him a sponsor, someone who really supported me and wanted to see me succeed. But they knew that I would probably succeed in a bigger, better way, in a way that was, would be more of a natural fit for myself in this new role. But I want to rewind the clock by a matter of weeks because I did read that article on LinkedIn in which you talk about how you had a period of time while you were a senior associate when you were kind of twiddling your thumbs waiting for your next assignment, your next client to be assigned to you. And instead of doing what some of us might have done, which would have been go to the beach read some books, chill, watch some Netflix. If it happened today, you started writing. Can you talk about what that was that you did in more detail? Sure. Exactly. The way you describe it, you summarize it very, very well. But let me tell you what happened. I was literally waiting for my next assignment and I kept calling the staffing professional who, who managed all of that regularly, you know, I was being quite persistent. So, you know, what will I work on next? And I didn't get a clear answer. And so I decided, you know, why don't I write about the story of our office and how we have changed? You know, we actually initiated a whole strategic initiative to change the direction of our office in Taipei. And without going into too much detail on that, I was part of that team. I actually was on that team that helped, you know, set the strategic direction for our Taipei office at, at McKinsey. This is many, many years ago. And I decided to write about it. And I sent it to the head of the office who was responsible for this initiative. And he loved it. 
And he, of course, you know, had a lot of input and we went back and forth on the draft. And, you know, at that point, I, I never considered myself a writer or, you know, a communications person at all. I just wrote this article and it was in intended entirely for an internal publication. It's never seen the light of day outside of our firm. It's locked away in, you know, in a, in a box in, in my ar archive in my library somewhere. But what happened was it, was it became the cover issue, cover story of our internal magazine globally. And so it sort of put McKinsey Taipei on the map internally. Again, this was purely an internal publication, internal communication. And the people that I work with appreciated that. And they saw a talent that I didn't even see myself. And they said, hey, you know, you're a pretty good writer. Why don't you do some more of it? We could use that. We need that. We need you in, in that role. So they created an entirely new role for me that I thought sort of I knew it clicked with me. I knew that was it. Because for some reason, the consulting role, although I learned a lot, it was very intensive. It was like getting a second MBA, to be honest. It just didn't click, resonate with me at a deeper level the way this communication role did. I love that story for so many reasons, Glenn, because it perfectly aligns with what Dr. Howard Gardner, who is a Harvard developmental psychologist, wrote about 40 years ago. He basically lobbed a hand grenade in the middle of the sort of traditional psychological profession that saw the IQ test as being the only benchmark of intelligence. You take this test, here's the number, quantifies whether or not you're a genius, whether or not you're smart. And Gardner said, no, intelligence is something that has a much broader swath. And he came up with eight different categories. And the other word that you could use for these intelligences are superpowers. They're things that come easily to us. They are gifts that we have naturally and often, like Glenn, dismiss because they come so easily to us. And I'll link to Dr. Gardner's eight intelligences. But one, of course, is communications, both written and spoken. That is Glenn's, one of his superpowers. And Glenn actually has written a wonderful article on LinkedIn about finding your superpower. He doesn't talk about Dr. Gardner, but he talks about how you can find your superpower. And more importantly, what are the clues that our young listeners can use to find theirs? That's right. Now, you summarized it very nicely. and. I remember walking around the hospital a few months ago, I was in the hospital and it just sort of occurred to me that that was my superpower. And I had never described it that way. And, and I I'm definitely am not innovative in any way in, in describing it as a superpower, but basically my strength. And it was, it was something that just took me so long to discover. And in many cases, it was other people that discovered it in me. But once you discover that or somebody discovers it in you, and it really is what you're good at and you do develop it and invest time and energy in developing in that, that. And that's what I've done for many, many years. It can be a very powerful thing. And also I've, for the past seven years, I've been trying as much as I can to share what I know about that, about two things. First of all, about how to become a better writer, but also just like you said, this article I wrote only a few months ago about discovering your superpower or your, you know, one of your strengths and trying to develop that. 
I've been trying to share what I've learned over the years about both of those things. And I will continue to share because I'm still learning. And I think I'm still on a journey to learning about myself and developing myself. So my podcasting, my writing, and my day job, what I do at McKinsey, I always feel like I'm, I'm going to try to learn something new or apply something that I've learned in a different way or with different people. So regardless of age, whether you're, you're, you're young, you're just graduating, or you're someone like me, I'm sort of more mid-career, you can always learn something new and always develop. And there will always be a lot of questions and uncertainty around that, but you've got to sort of just go plunge into the unknown and just try things. Yes. Well, one of the things that you tried while you were an undergrad at Cornell was taking a Russian literature course. And it was in that course that your professor said to you, Glenn, this assignment, this writing assignment that you did was so amazing. I want to submit it for an award. And that was one of the clues that in hindsight, you said, oh, gosh, I guess I was hearing from people in my life who were calling out my writing ability. And I would go so far as to say is, yes, of course, it's a strength, but it's one of those strengths that you have that you dismiss. You take it for granted and you think, gosh, well, so many people are great writers. So many people are amazing dancers or good musicians or incredible listeners. But the truth is, if it is something that you find people coming to you, calling to your attention, gosh, do you have time to talk? I'd really like your advice about this. Or would you mind performing here or there? Those are the signs, my friends, that your superpowers are in that direction. So let's talk about, Glenn, what you are doing now leveraging this amazing superpower as the head of reputation and communications in greater China. What are your responsibilities? What is your response? Because I know that they kind of run the gamut. No, it really does. So I lead the communications team in Greater China. It's a role I've had held since 1999. It's been a while. And it covers the whole range of external and, and internal communications. And it runs from publishing, thought leadership, communications, publications, books, articles, blog posts, to media relations. So I've worked with uh, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, as well as all of the local media, Caijing, Caixing, Tianxia, out here in greater China. Digital communications, I've designed all of our websites, social media. We're on most of the major platforms and we're opening up new ones. Like we just opened up a Douyin account, which is TikTok in English. In China, we have a Himalaya podcast account in China now, a WeChat video, Weibo video. And I was one of the first to get McKinsey onto LinkedIn on a regular basis. I was in one of the China, first to get onto China globally. So I was one of the first wow. to, to, to get our partners to write on LinkedIn on a regular basis globally. The Twitter account that I started about a decade ago or whenever was named by the Wall Street Journal, one of the top Twitter accounts you need to follow on China. I cover recruiting communications, events, client events internal communications, and also reputation and risk management and crisis management. I Just also, like, holy yeah. cow, how does he do that? And so I, I manage a team of professionals, so I don't do it all by myself, obviously. I'm very lucky. I have a fantastic team 
all based in the greater China region. And I spent a lot of my time coaching and mentoring them and helping them. I help set strategic priorities and direction, but I work also very closely with our partners and our senior partners to understand, you know, what are their objectives and how can we accomplish their objectives through thought leadership publishing. And again, like I just mentioned, it could be through writing an article, a blog post, or it could be through producing a video interview with a CEO or producing a podcast for the last 10 years that I've been doing or any other of the channels, social media channels that I, that I just mentioned. We've been on, on not all of them, but many of them. And I work with them to take their complex ideas and try to you know, convert them into publications, communications materials that people can understand and enjoy reading. Yeah. I don't know if you would agree with this. You did not explicitly mention this as one of the things you're responsible for, but I could certainly make the case, Glenn, that the function, one of the big functions that your team plays is in helping in business development. Because by promoting the McKinsey brand and what McKinsey does so well, you are raising awareness among potential clients. Right. Well, clientele development at McKinsey is multifaceted. The partners are very largely responsible for doing that. They're very hands-on with that. They develop the relationships with the clients. They deliver the, the work. But what I do and what my team helps to do is definitely to raise awareness and to deepen understanding of who we are and what we do and what we can deliver. And I'm very proud of that. And I think we do a great job at that. And then I joined, I took on this role when we were a much smaller office in greater China and a much smaller, smaller firm globally. But just in greater China alone, we were barely, a, you know, 70 or 80 consultants. And now we have, you know, seven or 800, 900 consultants and several hundred support staff. I've lived through, I've worked through the, the growth of our office, of our practice. Again, this is not a sing, you know, something that I've done single-handedly. I've done it through a, a wonderful team. And I work with excellent colleagues in the region and also globally. I get to work with people around the world. My primary role, what I do is I help build the brand and raise awareness of, of what we do and how we have impact. So how large is your team? And can you take us into, oh gosh, I want to say a typical day. I'm sure there is no really typical day because you also have to be very attuned to what's happening in the news and be reactive and, and also proactive in terms of trying to plant seeds that will lead to perhaps more, more business for McKinsey down the line. But could you give us a sense of how large your team is and then what you do day to day? Right. We have about 10 or 11 people in the greater China region who focus entirely on communications, including myself. I get to work with colleagues that do similar things as what we do across Asia and, and globally. But on the ground in greater China, we have about 10 or 11 professionals who do this just purely full-time. And you're right, there is no sort of typical day, but there are you know, types of days. Some days I'll have back-to-back -back Zoom calls you know, with the partners of our firm and you know, we'll strategize their publishing programs, we'll dive deep into the, the content of their latest report or article. And then other days, you know, I'll meet with my team. We have a weekly standing Zoom call 
and it runs about an hour and sometimes an hour and a half. And we work through our content pipeline, our priorities, our problems. And that's with my team. And sometimes I'll have one-on-one calls with my team members to help them sort through their problems or priorities. So I do a lot of you know, working with people. Then there are other days I'll look at my calendar and it's actually quite empty of Zoom calls. And I, I'm, I'm very happy about that. But what that means is then, then I have time to focus on creating content and editing content. So I'm actually an editor. I'm a writer and an editor. And I do a lot of content creation myself. So I'm very hands-on with that. That's part of my role. So I do work with a limited number of freelance writers and editors around the world. But the reality is all of the English language content goes through sort of my hands and my eyes. And then the Chinese content, I have a team of excellent Chinese language editors, and they work through all of the Chinese language content. And of course, I I supervise that process. So it's a mix of, you know, working with people, communicating, prioritizing, problem solving, brainstorming, and then also a lot of content creation editing. And then what what I didn't mention is, of course, I take time out to read, I schmooze a bit with people in the office. Uh, I get a cup of coffee or two, you know, relax. We have a nice sofa chair. You can, you can just sort of chill out. We have a lot of those nice amenities in the office. You can even work out. We have a coach to do some exercises and, and you know, training in the office, which is actually quite, quite awkward, I, I believe. So actually, I, I, don't get it. I don't jump into my Lululemon, you know, tights and, you know, sort of do those exercises. But uh, anyway, I do take time out. So I think that's something that I, I definitely do just to sort of let ideas brew, you know, to, to let my subconscious work on some of the ideas that I'm working on. And then before, you know, sitting down again and, and cranking away. Can you give us an example, Glenn, of a communications strategy that you've executed on maybe in years past? Just a meta strategy and this would be for the company, not for a client specifically, because your focus really is on the brand of McKinsey. Sure. This is a long time ago, but we published an, a report on the leadership gap in China. This was, I believe, 2005. We did some analysis and we discovered that China was facing because of the rapid economic growth that China was experiencing at the time, that China would actually experience over the next course of the next 10 to 20 years, a major managerial leadership gap. So we're not talking about in the Politburo, we're talking about in corporate China, private industry. Exactly. Well, in corporate China, which includes private industry and also, of course, state-owned enterprises and multinational companies. So, you know, multinational companies are staffed mainly by Chinese individuals, Chinese talent. So this talent gap that we identified was an analysis that came to me in the form of an article. And I sat down with the partners, the authors of that analysis, and we came up with a full strategy and a plan to get it out there, to spread the word. And we ended up getting three articles in the Financial Times, the same edition of the Financial Times in one day. We were on CNN, which I think used to be a correspondent for CNN out here in greater China. We had interviews on CNN. But the 
analysis that we we presented resonated so deeply with so many people that we were quoted on that for literally the next seven or eight, almost 10 years after we published that report. And, you know, what I learned from that was, first of all, having forward-looking, future-looking projections are very useful. People appreciate that. They need that as input into their strategic plans. I'm saying, you know, these are corporate leaders, company leaders need that kind of data and analysis. And that's something we were able to provide at the right time. But I think what I helped the partners do was to identify some of the questions that our clients and readers were going to ask around that, and then to try to present more of that, more evidence and more story around that leadership gap. So I asked, for example, you know, at what point would we need how many leaders in in what types of corporations? So I worked as a thought partner to the partners in crafting the messaging as well as the execution, you know, the strategy, and then finally executing it, literally calling up reporters at the Financial Times and pitching our story. And I thought it was just very, very rewarding to see us be quoted on that time. And again, story after story on that leadership story. And it's something that was not only true, but I think we probably underestimated the leadership gap. That In hindsight. Yeah, in hindsight. What I love so much about those examples, Glenn, is that you didn't study public relations, media relations, communications, or publishing in school. You got a master's in East Asian studies. You got your MBA in finance. And your undergrad degree was in Asian studies. This is the power of transferable skills. No, absolutely. Honestly, I, I genuinely did not know what I wanted to do when I was studying, you know, taking those courses. And of course, I in business school, there are a lot of options that are presented. So it became clearer, you know, what kind of options I could pursue in terms of career. But definitely as an undergrad, and when I was getting my master's degree in Asian studies, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I really didn't know how I would convert that into a career. And I thought about it a lot. My advice to uh, students out there is, yes, you should think about it. Yes, you should try to plan the best you can, but don't worry about it too much. And just think about what are the transferable skills that you'll be able to pick up and learn in your educational process. And again, I think writing is, is not the only one, but is definitely an important one. I highly recommend that. Focus on, on your writing. Focus on your just general communication skills. And there's so many other skills we could go into, but I'll pause there. Yeah. And the truth is, no matter what your major is in school, for the most part, you are honing these valuable hard and soft skills. And you can always supplement in your extracurricular activities, your part-time jobs, things like that, your side hustles, as long as you're keeping your interests front and center. That really should be your guide star. So, Glenn, we've said that you've spent almost 25 years at McKinsey, huge company, 30,000 employees all over the world, 130 countries. What do you think the advantages are of working for such a large company? And what are the downsides? Well, working for a large multinational firm like the one that I work at is, has a lot of advantages I've learned how to work in a truly multicultural environment. 
not just in greater China, but globally, because I work with colleagues around the world almost 24-7. Of course, I I do go to sleep and I, I do take a break and I take my vacation. But the point is I interact with colleagues from many different backgrounds from around the world. So that's definitely a huge plus. If you can find a firm that has a multinational presence, it's quite exciting to do that. And also once in a while, I've had the chance to, to travel a little bit to some of our other offices in the US, in Europe, and throughout Asia. If you get lucky enough to travel a little bit, that's nice, but you don't have to. You can travel instantly by Zoom, thanks to Zoom and Slack and other applications that allow you to connect now by video very easily with anyone in the world. So I think working in a multinational environment is great. Working in a large firm is very beneficial because there may be more opportunities, a variety of roles that you can consider. And I've seen a lot of people like myself move from one function to another. I went from consulting to communications. And I've seen the same happen to many other colleagues. Many colleagues move from consulting to a practice management role or from research into consulting or consulting into research. So I think your options, your range of options just grows as you you work in a larger company. I would also think that when you're working for an established company, there's process. You're learning best practices at a very, very high level. And of course, there is a lot of, I'm sure, benefits that go along with it. Really good healthcare and retirement benefits. And you mentioned some of the other whether it's having somebody come in to do exercise classes or having that opportunity to work on your health. Right. So definitely the first thing you mentioned is absolutely true. And it's particularly true about our firm. And so what I mean by that is, you know, we give a lot of, it, of advice to other business leaders, not just business, nonprofit leaders, public sector leaders, but we also give ourselves, we, we turn the spotlight on ourselves and we do a lot of deep self-analysis of our own firm and how we operate. And we're always trying to improve how we operate in all facets. And it's really quite fascinating to see that process, to see how we've improved and changed and evolved over the years. So we're actually quite rigorous towards ourselves. People don't see this because we don't talk about it that much externally or or at all. But we do a lot of sort of best practice analysis within our firm our firm versus other firms, et cetera. And we're always trying to improve. So that's quite interesting. You can learn that in a large firm like ours. You can learn a lot about so-called best practice and how a large firm operates. It's very complicated, right? We work across so many geographies, have so many different people, so many different functions. We're very complex. We're a complex organization, and yet we get things done somehow, some way, miraculously. Well, one of the many things that you have gotten done over the years in your role heading communications and uh, reputation at McKinsey Greater China is to produce McKinsey's first podcast. It was for the entire firm and it was McKinsey on China back in 2011. You started it. It's been downloaded millions of times and I'm guessing, Glenn, that is what influenced your decision to start your own wonderful podcast, Right With Impact, and of course, then the Right With Impact Academy. 
I want to ask you, Glenn, because you have turned the microphone around on so many people, myself included, on your Write with Impact podcast about how to write well. What is your best advice that you would offer our listeners right now about how they can write well? What are some of your tips and insights that you would say are kind of at the very top? I would say there are a few things. One is to read as much as you can. And when you read, become more meta about it. What I mean by that is be more conscious of what you're reading and how you're reading and the impact the effect it has on you. And then take a sentence or two or 10 and look very closely at how the author, the writer, has constructed those sentences. So, so slow down. Don't read so fast anymore. Read slow, read slowly and analyze other people's writing because there's a lot of good writing out there and a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it is free on the internet. So go to the good sources of writing and read, read, read. So that's number one. Number and two, I have to interrupt. What are your favorites in terms of sources where they can find good writing in addition to, of course, subscribing to your newsletter and going to Write with Impact Academy? Right. There's just so many. And I could just spend a long time just telling you where to go. I mean, obviously, I love to download books on my Kindle app from Amazon. But in terms of free sources, of course, there's medium.com. But Actually, Substack is really taking off. Substack is attracting some of the best writers I know. And it's a writing platform. And, you know, you can sign up for free. And a lot of them also have you know, paid subscriber options. And you can get more content if you pay. But a lot of the content there is free. And you get it delivered directly into your inbox. So I would suggest trying out Substack. It's a fairly new platform, you know, relatively newer, but it's exploding. It's attracting really top-notch writers. And I'm very proud to now be on Substack. Write with Impact Academy is on Substack. It's hosted on Substack, partly for that reason. And again, I could go on and on about you know, sources that you can turn to for free, you know, excellent sources of writing, but definitely read a lot. Great. And I interrupted you in mid-flow. You had a couple other suggestions you were going to make. Right. So the other suggestion, and this is something that I hear from, from everybody that I interview, and it sounds obvious, but it is something that can be tough for a lot of people. And I, I completely empathize with this, is that you have to write. And so just pick a platform. It could be LinkedIn. And I, I highly recommend you know, writing on LinkedIn. It could be Medium. It could be Substack. I highly recommend Substack. Substack is just exploding, like I said. Or it could be your own WordPress blog. But write something and try to be consistent about it. So I had a mentor seven years ago who gave me that advice. He said he knew I wanted to write, but I, I wasn't writing. I didn't even start. I was trying to think about it. I was struggling. You know, what, Which WordPress theme should I purchase that looks nice? He said, it doesn't matter. Just write something every week on LinkedIn. LinkedIn was just opening up its blogging platform for the very first time. And he said, write something every week. It doesn't matter how you feel or what you feel. Just do it, Glenn. And I took his advice. This is in April of 2014, a little over seven years ago. 
And I consistently wrote one article, a short article every week. I'd sit down at the kitchen table Thursday night or whenever. And I would just hit publish, not expecting anyone to read it or care about it. And just somehow I built an audience over a period of time, a period of years. So, and I learned how to write that way. I learned, you know, how to share my ideas and my thoughts with the world. And I highly recommend people do that. You know, the technology is there. It's free. The platforms are all free. LinkedIn's free. Substack's free. Medium is free. WordPress is free. And, you know, expect to not be great initially. Expect to learn. Expect to make mistakes. You can always delete your articles if for some reason you feel terribly embarrassed or you made a mistake. I've deleted a couple, not many, but I've deleted a couple articles that I just didn't want up anymore. I've left most of my articles up on LinkedIn. In fact, I actually did my very first inventory of my LinkedIn articles all the way back to 2014. And I, I have the number of views and likes on those very first articles. And I can tell you, it was very few, very, very few. But, you know, over time, I built up, you know, an audience on LinkedIn and elsewhere. And I did it through consistency and practice. And I still feel like I'm learning and I still feel like I have to sort of kick myself in the butt to sort of, you know, write and keep writing. I have to motivate myself to do that. But I, I do that by reading and getting inspired by other people, by talking to amazing people like Andrea and my guests on my podcast. I use my podcast to get ideas and inspiration that I can then use to, to write about. So reading gives you the inspiration that you need and the ideas and also the methodologies, right? And then writing just helps you put it into practice. I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I have two final T4C questions, Glenn, that I ask all of my guests. And the first one is to share a time in your professional life when you struggled. Maybe you even screwed up, failed at something. I certainly have many, many times. And the most important thing here is how you persevered and whether there was a lesson that you learned in the process. Sure. I'm going to get a little bit personal here. And I think, um, but I think the, the overall message is that me included, most of us or all of us fail at one point or another, maybe even multiple times. So there was a time where I was taken completely by surprise and given a, a very tough performance review at work. This is years ago. You know, I had always done very well, scored highly on my annual review. And all of a sudden, I got a review that was not so great. And I was very upset and very bothered because it was, I was taken by surprise. I really didn't expect it. And so I turned to several of my mentors and sponsors at my firm for advice. And what I learned from that was a few things. First of all, you need to over-communicate what you're doing and the impact that you're having. And I realized that I wasn't even doing that. You know, if I were to be totally honest, I wasn't communicating enough about what I was exactly doing and the impact I was having. So that, that would be one, one lesson I took from that. Because, you know, if nobody knows what you've done or what your contribution was, then I don't know if you've heard the expression, but it's like, you know, if a tree falls in, in the forest and nobody's around to hear the sound, then doesn't make a sound. So it's as if the tree never fell, in other words. So it's as if you didn't make a contribution. If you don't talk about it or share it with your managers or your colleagues, then it's almost as if you didn't do it. So somebody needs to know about it besides yourself. So that was one thing I learned from that tough experience. I think second was 
to create a plan to double down on your contributions and try to be more creative, try to be innovative in some small way. And that's something that I tried to do over the course of the next year or two. And what can you do differently? What can you learn so you can contribute in a way that you didn't before? And then finally, I learned from the senior people I spoke with that nearly every one of them went through a tough patch or two or three in their careers. They just don't talk about it. They don't tell you about it. And that was very revealing. They got very honest with me. Not all of them, but you know, one or two of them said, you know what, Glenn, I've actually had the same experience. Not once, not twice, but three times. I felt very encouraged by that. And so just know that you're not alone and that even the highest performers, the ones you think that can do no wrong, have definitely or most likely failed at one point or another or probably multiple times. And I think the key thing is you just got to pick yourself up, you know, brush yourself off, learn from the experience, try not to do, you know, try not to make the same mistake again if you can avoid it, learn from it. Get a little introspective. Think about yourself. You know, where do you think are, what are your areas of that, that you need to work on? And then just move forward and try to do things a little bit differently next time. What great advice. And just to pull out for me, the big headline there, it's the importance of networking within your own company and identifying people with more experience who you admire, and then taking them out for a cup of coffee, grabbing lunch with them or breakfast and asking them if they would be your mentor, that you admire them and you would love to learn from them. And, and these are the golden nuggets that you're going to get from those wonderful mentors in your own career. Final question, Glenn. If you could go back to Cornell and do it all over again, enjoy all that apple cider and the fishing and the beauty of Ithaca, but based on the wisdom that you have now, what advice would you give yourself? Okay, so I hope I'm going to have to apologize to all the parents out there who are spending a lot of money on college. By the way, I, I am the father of a college student, a rising senior in college, okay? And I'm paying a lot of money for that. So I apologize in advance, but my advice, and this is very honest advice, is I definitely would have partied more. And what I mean by that is I don't necessarily mean with alcohol, but what I mean is that I definitely would have networked with more intention. I would have met more people. I would have spent more time just hanging out or doing activities with other students. And then, of course, following up with them after graduation. Now. I did do some of that for sure. And it was definitely one of the best parts of college and grad school for me. But to be totally frank, I was too obsessed with my grades and my GPA and getting into a top graduate school, doing well academically, that I ended up skewing, spending a lot of my time and effort in that area. And again, I'm not saying you shouldn't study or try to do well academically, and, you know, but now that we have LinkedIn and other platforms and tools to stay in touch easily with people, there's absolutely no excuse not to build a larger network of friends and acquaintances at school and enjoy the experience as much as possible because it goes by way too fast. And I can tell you, I would trade places with you, the listener, anytime, right now. You can come over here. You can do my job. 
I'll take your spot in your classroom or in your dorm any day. And I'm very serious about that. I absolutely, absolutely loved school and I miss it like crazy. I was going to say, you might be okay with that, but I'm not so sure if the McKinsey higher ups would want to see a 21 year old who's heading up reputation and communication for McKinsey Greater China. <laughs> no, that's okay. We have, we have some of our colleagues, not many, but I've seen some of our colleagues go on to careers in education. You know, they're deans of major business schools. They sit, sit on the boards of schools. I was on the board of my children's school for several years. And some people do go back for degrees, for PhDs or law degrees or whatever. And a degree is definitely something I would like to pursue at some point or another another in the the future. Yeah, sure. Why not? Oh, my gosh. Well, one of many things that Glenn talks about in his LinkedIn articles is just the importance of having that student mind where you're constantly learning and growing. I, too, love to learn and grow and educate myself about all different subjects. And and it's just been, I would say, the secret sauce to what has fueled me, not just caffeine, over the course of (laughs) my career, Glenn. Well, listen, I cannot believe we've been going here for two hours, my friends. It is after midnight in Taipei. And Glenn, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee. Actually, even before I say that, I want to remind our listeners that Glenn is the founder of the Write with Impact Academy. His Write with Impact podcast is a a must subscribe. You also want to connect with him on LinkedIn and follow him and all that good stuff. We will have links to all of that in show notes. Glenn, you are such a mensch. I don't know how to say that in Chinese. Yeah, mensch, mensch, by the way, is, is Yiddish. For it's Yiddish. A, a great a good, guy. A good bloke. A good yes, guy. Yes. What would you say in, in Mandarin? In Chinese. I, I, don't, I don't know how to translate that. You're, you're also a mensch. So thank you so mm. much for inviting me to your, to your program. I, I love talking to you and we have to do this again. You're doing a great service, by the way, for your listeners. I just want to want to tell you, you're the only one that I know who's doing what you're doing. And I think you have a huge heart to be doing that. I think a lot, millions of students out there uh, should be listening to you and uh, imbibing your wisdom and also that of, you know, some of your guests, of course. But uh, thank you for all that you're doing for the young folk out there. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.